Hey, and welcome to the Stay Wild Trauma Child podcast. I'm Steph. And I'm Jamie, your trauma tour guides. Please keep your hands, arms, and legs. Oh, Jamie. Yeah. We're their hosts. As I was saying, we are two best friends that are openly sharing their healing journeys while navigating sudden loss, parenthood, relationships, mental health, and so much more. So this is your trigger warning that Jame and I will be discussing highly sensitive topics, including abuse, domestic violence, and murder in most, if not all of our episodes. We aren't for the faint of heart. We cuss like sailors and we have a pretty dark sense of humor. So if either of those things bother you, this is where your tour ends. Oh, hey, Jame. Don't forget to tell them that we aren't medical professionals. Oh, yeah. We're definitely not medical professionals, but we probably need them. (laughs) (laughs) So grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and get ready for a whole lot of laughs and maybe even a little bit of healing. So starting off on the freeze response, my question for you and the listeners is, have you ever been in a situation where someone says something inappropriate or something or says something that you find offensive and you feel frozen. Has that ever happened to you? A hundred percent. And does that feel or can that feel sometimes like almost an attack within your body? Like that, that, that cold, like thing in your chest when you're just like feeling frozen and you don't know how to respond to someone. Yeah. I think my bigger issue is like, I feel like I hear myself screaming inside to respond, but I can't. So you know what to say. Yeah, like I know exactly what I should have said or how I should have handled it or how I should be reacting to the situation, but I'm literally like frozen. And I sometimes I feel like it's almost because you're so dumbfounded by what the person is saying to you that you're like, wait a second. See, that's interesting because I was like, I was genuinely curious as I was writing this. I was like, I wonder what Steph feels in her body and what she thinks. So you know what to say right there in that moment, usually. I wouldn't say like, not like 100% of the time, but like, um, there was an incident that you witnessed, where somebody was saying inappropriate things to me. And I knew what I should have said, but I didn't say anything. I think if we're speaking about the same incident, I don't know if you noticed this, but when incidents like that happen in front of me, like, and I'm witness to it, um, all thoughts leave my head and I just become this blonde bimbo and start laughing. I'm, I'm like, ha, 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 this is so funny. This is great. I love it here. Um, <laughs> words are hard and there's none. This is wrong, but. <laughs> but, but yeah, exactly. But, and it was kind of like that because you're like, okay, like this is going to stop. And then it doesn't, it either does stop or it continues on. And then either, um, you get to the point where you're going to say something or you just keep freezing. And we both know I generally don't have a hard time like opening my mouth and saying like when I think something is fucked up or when I think something's inappropriate. Like my grandfather at Christmas decided to scream in my best friend's face. And I looked at him and I said, absolutely not. My father was like, oh my God. I was like, and he was like, Stephanie. And I was like, no, absolutely not. That is not how we treat people. This is not how we talk to people. Like, I don't care who he is. This is not, this is not how we behave. Like, yeah, so I can clearly tell an 80 year old man to basically go fuck himself, but I can confidently say that I'm at a place where that's where I'm at now. Like I'm, I'm actively speaking out. Like I have worked on my throat chakra quite a bit, which is a huge part. Not a huge. Is it, is it, 
it is a part of this episode. Um, but previously, like, I wouldn't even know what to say. Like, words would just leave me entirely and I would feel literally stupid because I'm like, you know how to respond to this. Like, you, you read books, you journal 24 seven. And I was so frustrated because I had been working on myself and working on myself and working on myself and exhausting myself, um, and not making as much progress as I had liked. And then over this past year, I I made all the progress and now my issue is choosing what to say and what not to say so I don't fight the neighbors, Um, (laughs) which has like almost happened on two occasions at this point. And it's, I'm finding myself like now that, like I'm saying, moving backwards through my responses as we were talking to, talking about prior to recording this episode, Um, spoiler alert for a new episode coming up. Mm -hmm. But like that, now I'm kind of working through like when's an appropriate time to fight or flight, um, which we are going to cover a little bit later on in this episode. Uh, Cause I found some interesting perspectives on that. I guess you would say. I think for me, I definitely have a much easier time sticking up for somebody else. Like if I can see that somebody else like c- responded back to the trolls on your fucking TikTok. Mm-hmm. they said inappropriate things and you're like i don't i don't know how to respond to this i don't know how to handle this and i'm like <laughs> let me you know what i mean like oh yeah i've been known to go to war if it's not my neck on the on the chopping block oh absolutely you've witnessed this yeah. i have become the most vile <laughs> demonic creature if anyone steps on the toes of people i love i will go after their mom their grandmother i will i will say vile things i, I used to i used to we're healing but like I mean, I'd be like, and that's why your grandmama's dead. Like, I, I, it would, like, I would not hold back. You've seen this. Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> but when it comes to me, I'm like, you're, you're being mean and I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I, I guess it also depends on, like, if it's, like, a complete stranger versus somebody that you're comfortable with. Like, you know, like, my brother saying something to me, I have no problem sticking up for myself against him, but some stranger saying something, I'm, I might be a little more taken back, especially, like... I have nothing to lose. If you piss me off, I have everything to lose if I don't watch my mouth with you. With right? Me? But, yeah, not like that. Not in that way. I mean, I would never be like, and that's why your grandma died to you. But I'm saying, like, I, I have much more at stake, and we have put m- so much into our friendship that, like, there would be a lot to lose. But if I see a stranger fucking around, they're going to find out. Like, I, there's no, I have nothing to lose there. I was speaking more of, like, a safety sense, because there are oh. fucking psychos in this. Place. I have no sense of self-preservation. I'm building that. So, like, okay, bringing it back to the basics so we don't, like, overcomplicate this uh, for the listeners. So, like, Steph has somewhat of an idea of what to say in the moment. To a degree, whereas me, like, words leave entirely. And so, like, she experiences freeze in the sense that she kind of knows what to do or say, but can't act. So she's frozen. Whereas me, like, everything shuts down and I freeze. So these can be the two sides of the freeze response. And with this being said, like, we try to look at the freeze response and we always reference it as, like, if we're in some sort of physical danger situation physically dangerous situation um and we haven't modernized this problem at all and so these inappropriate advances or sayings or like rudeness or i I don't know how to explain this but you guys are hopefully getting the idea is the present day threat it's the modernized monster or beast or lion or attacker if you will so people with this response are actually often diagnosed with depression schizophrenia add 
not ADHD, and then DID, which is dissociative identity disorder. Think multiple personalities. Hmm. What about in response to emergency situations? It can be the same. Because, you know, like some people respond very well in emergency situations and like other people do not. Like I have an aunt that like if you were to fall and break your arm and get hurt, she would stand there and hysterically laugh at you because when she gets nervous, she laughs and she Mm -hmm. freezes. So it's kind of weird. Like, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, same. Um, When one of my kids fall, I don't laugh necessarily, but like, I will freeze. I will like Noah falling down the stairs. There's, I know in that situation, there was nothing that anyone could have done, Mm -hmm. but like, there was a definitely a good five second pause before I left that top step to run down the stairs to go grab the already fallen child because I I froze and I freeze. But if it's like life or death car response time type of issue or like someone's attacking me physically, my I turn into like a ninja. Excellent response time. I think there's also a difference between a pause and a freeze. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where like you see your child fall and you're like pausing to see how they're going to react versus like you said, him falling down the stairs like... If you're going to throw yourself down the stairs to try and catch him, like you're borderline just going to end up hurting yourself too. You know, like there's, like Mm -hmm. you said, there's really not much you can do at that situation, especially when you're behind them on the stairs and they're falling in front of you. But like, okay, Noah falls in the pool and doesn't know how to swim. I'm diving in. Okay. Some people would get freaked out (laughs) and freeze and just not know what to do because they're like, oh my God, I, I know what I should be doing, but I can't bring myself. So... It's really fascinating. It's super fascinating, actually, that you bring this up, because I'm having like a realization right now in this moment that as I was studying this response, and as you've been asking these questions, it's like, I didn't experience physical abuse, like to that extent growing up, like, yes, I was spanked. Yes, I, we had physical altercations, but it wasn't like, and by physical altercations, I would like to clear that up with I've never hit my mother. Um, Twas the other way around. Just want to set the record straight on that one. And so because there was not much of that, like that wasn't the like the 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 monster in my life, like I wasn't afraid of getting my ass beat 24-7. I was afraid of mind mind games and psychological like torture and just like straight up just mach- like I have called it many times throughout this podcast, machine gunning me with questions, threats, insults, just completely my stepdad actually described it as watching the light go out of my eyes. Because she would just berate me. And those were his exact words, berate me endlessly. Well, because there's no escaping that. Even after, like, you know, not that anybody wants to be physically harmed. But once the physicalness of that is over, like, that heals. But psychological warfare on yourself, like, on your brain, like, that is... 10 times worse. Fucking PTSD is a real fucking thing for a reason. And that's why you hear a lot. This is super, this is, okay, this is a super unpopular take. And I don't mean offense to any listeners. And this isn't to discredit or diminish your experiences by any means. But I think this is why you hear a lot of emotional abuse and psychological abuse survivors say that they would have rather had their ass beat. And I've heard that come out of the mouth of many, including myself. Because, like, I know what physical pain feels like on many fronts. I've gotten in fights. I've gotten tattoos. I've given birth. Like, et cetera, et cetera, right? And and knowing that pain, I, it's like, I would rather feel the pain of a punch to the eye because it's somewhat, it's somewhat temporary, somewhat, unless it causes permanent damage. Yeah. Than the mind fuck it is that I live with every day. And, like, 
having to refrain from telling a four-year-old to shut the fuck up. That should, that, that is so much more painful. It feels like almost sometimes than, than experiencing the physical pain. Yeah. Which I know violence begets violence. And if your parents hit you, like if you pass, you could, you risk and chance passing that down and becoming that parent yourself. And I can't imagine the pain that I would feel as a parent whooping my kid's ass and also being somewhat aware that like what I'm doing is wrong. Yeah. That that's got to be a whole other level of psychological torture. Um, but I digress. I think that's super interesting. Like my primary trauma is psychological. So that's where I freeze and I don't necessarily freeze as much with a physical, a physical. Interesting. This is going to bring me onto a whole new fucking subject. I've like, okay, I'm going to have to add to this on the end of this episode. Hopefully I remember, but in the spirit of staying on track. Um, <laughs> so where you feel this response in your body, um, we've kind of already started to lightly touch on that. But like, as I said, the throat chakra, which makes sense because you're getting choked up, you feel the choking in your throat, you have this inability to speak up and fight back. Um, and I learned on the Your Chakra Coach podcast, which I've been telling you about, I think you would freaking love her. And I think you guys would love her too. Like, she's a whole different vibe from uh, um, oh gosh, what was the first podcast we like used as inspiration? Why can't I remember? But the first podcast that we referenced heavily when talking about the primal wounds, um, that she's a whole different vibe. It's just her. She keeps it real short and simple and she's real chakra based. So if you want to learn about like where trauma sits in your chakras, how, why, what, when. Spiritual fix. Yes. So she's a whole different vibe from them. Um, and she's amazing. I can't stop listening to her, which admittedly, like, this is the first podcast that this has happened to me for. What is her podcast? It's called um, Your Chakra Coach, I believe. Let me pull it up real quick. Yeah, Your Chakra Coach. She has a bunch of episodes. Uh, the one I listened to today was 144, episode 144. So she was saying in her episode that the throat chakra, right, is a gateway chakra. That's what it's known as, which means it's like this energetic pathway. And the vision I got when she was kind of describing it as like the neck of a bottle. And so if there's too much, quote unquote, information being passed through back and forth to this pathway, body to brain, brain to body is what she said, without the knowledge or tools to keep that energy flowing in a healthy way, like no shit, it's going to get clogged. And that's where a lot of issues are going to start to step in. So if you fall into a more spiritual realm of things on your healing journey, like there's a little interesting nugget that I learned today. And I was like, wow, that makes a shit ton of sense. Um, but for my, our science folk, this response sits in, why am I, I should have written this. So it sits in your dorsal vagal, which if you know anything about this, you'd be like, what? Because dorsal vagal sits within the neuroception of safety usually. But there's like, as I referenced in previous episodes, there's a high tone and then a low tone dorsal vagal. And so high tone is where the freeze sits. Think of like this, like a peaked chart, like a mountain freeze sits at the top of that in your high tone dorsal vagal in your brain. And we've referenced this in previous episodes, like as the brakes of the uh, nervous system, um, they're there to pump the brakes. And so, but when you're operating in... And the reason I'm saying this is because I reference this later on in the episode. So when I'm saying dorsal vagal, high tone, low tone, so that you guys have this information. But when you're operating in a low tone dorsal vagal, uh, within that neuroception of safety, you have the ventral vagal dominant dominance, which is like, basically, that's lit up because you're being present and you're socially engaging with people. 
it's like a safe, you know, like it's just me and you right now. My ventral vagal dominance is all lit up. <laughs> and my dorsal vagal dominance, low tone, is the purpose of that is for you to rest and digest, as they call it. So like these are the three, and I don't know why the brain people named it this way and why it's like, I don't know why they don't all have three separate names, but just so you guys know, that's what we're referring to. Well, and the the rest and digest, that that's the um the vagus nerve. Yeah, dorsal vagal dominance, vagus nerve. Yeah, it's, yeah. I wish, I've said this a thousand times, I wish we had charts and I do need to start making it for these, but we've been focused on bigger and better things for the podcast soon to come. Um, so just a quick review, going back to the podcast we've been referencing for these, these, uh, trauma responses, your shocker coach explained it beautifully on her podcast, um, where basically our bodies kind of have this, like, I couldn't think of a word to describe this as, but like a textbook approach to threats. Like you and I pump out the same hormones when shit goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how it all kicks off. The sympathetic nervous system releases the hormones, preparing our bodies to do whatever it is that we need to do. And then our parasympathetic nervous system, which we've also talked about in previous episodes, comes into play once that threat has subsided, counteracting the rush of hormones and chemicals that have just flooded our systems. So effectively, that calms us down. And then we're able to commence the biological completion, which we touched on in our flight response episode. They call it, they like refer to the trauma responses as like this biological completion. Like these are natural. They're supposed to occur. They're, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. It's because it's written in our, I don't know if you would say our DNA or if it's just like, it's just the way our nervous system works. Yeah. So we'll go into how all of that shifts um, here in just a little bit. But next I had written down like the sources and the motives, uh, which is where it started to get super interesting and bear with me with the paper noises because, you know, I'm 80 and have to print out my stuff. It's funny that you were saying like, it's just how we are. I had, I had written down uh, to think of our original biologically programmed freeze response as something similar to like stalling. So as you were talking about, like previously pausing, stalling, it's a small pause to help us stop, slow our minds down, mull over the best solutions for the threat, um, which, you know, fight or flight, and then prepare for the next steps. So we could argue, actually, that freeze is our first line of defense in a healthy trauma response system, because like, we all have to pause to assess the situation and decide whether we're going to fight or we're going to run. So I think it's funny that it's like fight, flight, then freeze, because it really should be freeze, fight or flight. It just doesn't sound right. It doesn't. I agree. I see why aesthetically, like, or however, however that word works. The opposite aesthetic is for like looks. So what is music? Can music be aesthetic? No. Autonomic. No, that's, uh, <laughs> audio. I don't know. Y'all know or where we're going. Think uh, of the phrase, uh, why it would, I mean, it just flows. It just flows more. So I was reading a, uh, blog or article on Healthline. Um, which is one of our other sources. And they were talking about how therapist Pete Walker, um, he's the guy who coined the term fawn. Like he, he just, he not discovered, but like he, he came up with this whole concept of fight, flight, freeze, and then fawn. And he actually suggests that it's mostly possible for us to get through most of life's challenges and stress and, and other threats, modernized threats by reaching for these initial trauma responses that our brain comes programmed with. But when we live through repeated abuse, neglect, or other traumatic circumstances in childhood, it can kind of make it harder for us to use these responsive responses effectively. Freeze 
is an adaptive response turned maladaptive through trauma. And I was like, damn, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It's a double meaning. Freeze is supposed to be there, but everyone labels, mislabels it because it's, it's kind of turned into this like maladaptive response because of, of trauma. Well, because later on in life, you freeze even in situations where there's not a threat. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, you know, it's not speaking up for yourself, not even like in a, even like in a business setting. If, if you're all, if you're sitting in the conference room at work and I don't know, you're discussing something and somebody asks you your opinion and you never have an opinion, you don't speak up. You always just freeze, you know, like you. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. Or like, or running with that same example, you're sitting, you're sitting in a, in a work meeting. And one of your coworkers kind of like undercuts you for an opportunity that they're about to like offer to everyone. They're like, Ooh, pick me, pick me. And you really want it. And you've been working for it. And like, you know, that you could knock this out of the park, whatever it was, Mm -hmm. but you choose not to speak out because you're frozen and you don't, that could also like, that could also be a little bit of fawning, Yeah. but you know, um, potato, potato, we'll get into that. So this, um, When it becomes maladaptive, this is where our trauma responses warp in one of the most dangerous ways in my personal and professional trauma podcaster opinion. The initially healthy and potentially life-saving response begins to kind of like distort when the option of fight or run is stripped away from us. So like think like abusive childhood, sexual assault, assault of any kind, really power plays in the workforce like we were just talking about. When our cognitive functions and decision-making abilities are essentially like imprisoned or or stripped from us and disfigured through traumatic life experiences or abuse to the point where our brains tell us to essentially like, or our brains essentially like basically tell our bodies to initiate shutdown, that is both incredibly useless (laughs) and extremely dangerous because it leaves us thoughtless and vulnerable in potentially life or death situations. And I was like, that's, that's very interesting. Um, so through this maladaptive behavior that you've developed, like you become the ostrich where Steph and I've laughed about this so many times in the past. I don't know if we've laughed about it on the podcast, but like, I know we've definitely laughed about it. Cause I've said, she's like, what are you fucking doing? And I'm like, I'm, I'm ostriching. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's ostrich, right? Where they poke their head in the ground. Yep. And they think that nobody else can see them because they can't see anything. You have yes. mentioned that you've ostrich in life on other episodes. I think it was during the primal wounds or. This is why I need you. <laughs> um, to be yeah. So basically like you were saying, you put your head in a hole and you hope that you're not noticed by whatever threat, because obviously if you can't see them, they can't see you, which is totally illogical. And like, cause you're being fucking hunted, right? Like whatever it is, that's a threat. That's an actual threat. Like you're being hunted and you sticking your head in a hole. Isn't gonna, isn't gonna. Especially when you were a child that grew up in an abusive home, you were always hunted and you didn't know when that was going to actually happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know from friends that had abusive parents, it was like, okay, dad's home now. What dad is going to walk through the door? Like, is he going to be mm-hmm. happy? Is he going to just come in and just fucking start screaming? Is he just going to, you know, it's so you do feel like you're constantly hunted. Yeah, so exactly. That's... And like when this response is warped, it leaves us more vulnerable to the threats of the world and like isn't acting at all in the way that it was initially intended 
to protect you. Um, it's, it's just, it's not working for you. Yeah. So we talked about where it shows up in the body and like what, where it is in your brain and your chakra and the source and the motive. And so now like onto the feeling, where do you feel it in your body? What, what does it, what does it feel like? What does it look like? How does it move? Walk, talk. And so that kind of looks like a decreased heart rate, a decreased temperature, a lack of facial expressions, lack of responses to anything interpersonal. So like a voice, eye contact, uh, like I said, facial expressions, sexual responses, meaning like when you freeze in situations like this to touch on a sensitive subject, like in an instance of rape, people say that they freeze because their body goes into literal shutdown and they just, they freeze. They, they start to lack facial responses and sexual responses. So like you just hear a lot of people saying like, I just laid there. And so it, it makes a lot of sense for this response because what your body is trying to do is it's trying to conserve all of the physical and mental energy stores. Like your body is, your brain is telling your body that it's dying. Right. And this is also how we know that it sits in our throat chakra. Um, as she, was saying, because when we struggle to interpret another person's vocal input, that also counts as like a throat chakra blockage because it's how we, how we receive vocalized, you know, information to us. And I was like, I did not know that either. Me either. So you may feel initial terror or overwhelm. Physically, you take no action, immobilization, depression, isolation, hibernation, which there is a difference between isolation and hibernation. What would you say that is? Um, I would say like isolation is when you cut yourself off from like anything that would bring you like joy or any sort of like comfort outside of like your bed and like food. But like, I think you would um, isolate yourself from your friends, like anybody who makes you feel better. Where hibernation you would still be partaking in things that make you comfortable and bring you peace and joy. But like, maybe you're just not going out as often or like going outside the home where you just kind of want to like stay in and rest. And to me, it's a more restful state opposed to like isolation to me feels like a punishment. Yeah. It feels very shame, shame based. It's like, I don't, I'm not deserving of whereas hibernation can feel a little bit more like intentional. Like you might be starting to make it out of the freeze response. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, I was actually talking with my business coach about this. You know how they say to punish yourself, you do the opposite of your love language. Mm -hmm. So to me, like isolation is, is like, if you're the type of person that like words of affirmation or like acts of service and quality time are your love languages, isolation is going to be like a punishment for you. Absolutely. So like you're taking away something that fills your cup and putting something in there that literally drains it. I cannot wait to do the love language episodes because do you remember that, that quote that started floating around a few years ago? Maybe it was on TikTok, Facebook. I don't know, but it was like, is your love language really acts of service or were you just raised in a household where blah, 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 blah. And I was like, Oh my God, it came from my fucking throat. I started attacking everybody. Yes. Oh my God. So we're super, I I know I'm super excited to cover love languages and the new love languages and all of that shit. So stay tuned to hear that in two years. <laughs> <laughs> two years. 
Well, it might be that yeah, we did, we thought we were going to get through a lot more topics. No, I mean, yes and no. I, I enjoy the pace that we're going because it's like, yes, these will have already been talked about, but I feel like we're going to be coming from a much uh, a more knowledgeable place at that point. And we're really more digestible. Yeah. And we're really giving ourselves ourselves time and staying true to like the whole intention behind the podcast, because we are working through this shit as well. Like, we don't just type this stuff up for shit and giggles and like, well, that was fun. Now we can pump out another one. It's like, yeah, no, we're we're doing the journal prompts like actively the ones that we put out. We also revamped everything. So we had one plan in the very beginning. And then also once we realized how hard all this shit actually is and how little we actually knew. Yeah, we're like, wow, we need a plan. Yeah, then the plan actually started to evolve because we're like, wait a second, there's kind of a point A on how this all begins. And like, we thought our trauma just started the days Matt and Emily died. (laughs) I knew there was trauma. I just wasn't ready to crack open Pandora's box. And then I did. And it's kind of like, it reminded me of one of those like um, toys where it's like, dun, 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 dun pop goes the trauma yeah it's like for fuck it popped out and i was like desperately i was like that unhinged girl in every vacation movie where she's like sitting on her fucking suitcase to try and get everything back in yeah i'm like no 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 i did not mean to open it this far literal pandora's box yeah yeah so you also make yourself small and afraid of achievement uh you don't want to make yourself noticed you're trying to hide from the world um you kind of uh, tend to avoid true vulnerability and intimacy in your life to mitigate risk in some cases with some people. Um, you hide your emotions and feelings. So this, this could also play into fawning, which we'll cover in our upcoming episodes. Feelings. You feel numb, dead inside, hopeless, lifeless. Think total apathy. You're, you're very apathetic towards like everything. Um, you're experiencing a lot of brain fog, difficulty making decisions. You're disassociating a lot, your personality splitting. I mean, there's a spectrum here to how, how much struggle or who struggles with what. So you could be experiencing personality splitting, which also can play into fawning where you kind of like have these altered states of consciousness, uh, which could also play into spiritual psychosis, but that's a whole other episode for a whole other day. But like, uh, where you just kind of are developing these different personalities to survive. Now, when you say personality splitting, is it like in the same moments or is it like depending on who you're around, your personality changes? Are you ready for this answer? Because it's a lot more dark than you think it is. So So like like, how I have heard it described and everything I have read is personality splitting. Like, yeah, you can think bipolar split, like someone pisses you off and you lose it on them. But think about it. It doesn't actually work like that. I I know. So, um, or maybe it's borderline. I can never get those two right. Please forgive me. It's been everybody always said that bipolar is like the type of mental health case where, like, at the flip of a switch, you go from mad to sad or this. Like, when terms are so similar, (laughs) I don't know if this is how it is for you, but like Medicare versus Medicaid, or in this instance, um bipolar versus borderline personality they're both bpd and i just cannot for the fucking life of me ever remember which is which but how i have heard it described is like basically so when you're in a a dissociative state right like it's not like think about this like meditating it's not like where your your mind isn't always in like this clear blank like lifeless 
gravity, um, gravityless. What's the word? No gravity state. You're not just like floating through this empty room in your mind when you're disassociating 24 seven. That experience can be that way for some people. Think about it as, I don't know if anyone's heard of the term maladaptive daydreaming. So maladaptive, right? We've talked about that. There's adaptive, maladaptive. So maladaptive daydreaming can really kick in in these instances because you kind of like slip into this fantasy world, which is why you find people like this, me, who use fantasy and imagination to escape the day-to-day distress, which is why I would always turn to and have probably watched every fantasy show that has ever been released into everything. And I used to have this, this really bad addiction to watching all of these shows and just kind of escaping into that because that was my form of maladaptive dreaming daydreaming in the sense that like, so when you're disassociated, you kind of like can put yourself into that world. Now, mine wasn't that extreme, but some people kind of like slip into this state when they're in freeze and someone's screaming at them. They literally will be living an entirely different life inside their head, entirely different person, entirely different timeline, entirely different children, entirely different pets. However it plays out for you, it's entirely different. And I'm like, that's fucking insane. I would literally think I was losing my mind if that's the coping skills that I developed. Thank God I did not, because I'll pray for y'all. So that's how the personality splitting happens? Disassociative identity disorder. We're basically, what I'm doing right now is throwing out a bunch of words that are super similar to each other or symptoms of. When you have a disassociative identity disorder, you do tend to maladaptive daydream. Or disassociate quite a bit. Like these are just kind of all fancy. I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to diminish my education. These are all medical words for the symptoms of all of these mental disorders that kind of are the product, the byproduct of, of this kind of trauma. With this, you can have learned helplessness. And I wrote a little note to the side and I was like, does this lead to fawning? Like the fawn response, like when you start to to really lean into your learned helplessness facade for the world. And you're basically on a one-way road to catatonia. So for people who, like I was just describing, who get into that maladaptive daydreaming state, I mean, like, that's a step further than mine is. So there's steps further than that. And there's states of complete catatonia. So when you are on this freeze response and you can't seem to get out of it, that's when you start to reach catatonia levels and like burnout and just an exhaustion like you've never felt like I was telling you at the beginning. Because what your body is, your brain is telling your body, like, we need to panic because we're preparing to lay down and die. So like, we're, we're shutting down entirely heart rate slowing, we're dying. And your body literally is doing just that preparing to die in those moments. And I'm like, wow, it's just hearing that made me feel a lot better about all of the moments I sat there and I froze and I stayed in the verbally abusive situation where I was just being hammered over and over and I could not move. Even when I could, even when I had a choice as an adult, it was like I was just standing there staring at the person berating me, unable to move, completely immobilized without words. Yeah, I had no idea that that's what fawning meant. I always thought fawning was very similar to freezing. But I, I just never really understood, like, oh, I was what explaining the difference freeze. Was. I was explaining freeze in that last part. Fawn is placating, playing nice. Gotcha. Okay. It's like, it's a step above freeze, in my opinion, where it's like, you can see what you're, 
what you need to do here. Um, you're not going to run. You're not going to fight, but you're going to betray yourself. Gotcha. Because okay, you're, you're too frozen to speak up in a sense, but you're, yep. you're not frozen enough to make this person happy. Gotcha. And so I learned to fawn later in life as I worked my way through the freeze and received a whole bunch of negative uh, feedback and impact from that. Cause people are like, you never say anything. You can't talk. You always text. And it's like, yes, that's the only way I can gather my thoughts to communicate. You don't understand. I'm not a child. I, I literally, as you're sitting there facing me with anger, I, I can't think of words to say to you. It's not that I'm, it's not that I'm weak. It's not that I'm afraid of you. I'm not because I was thinking of all the ways that I could knock your fucking lights out, but I chose not to. It's just that I couldn't come up with words. Mm-hmm. And when I stopped letting that freeze response make me feel weak, that's when I was able to take my power back. Cause I'm like, I'm fucking smart and I'm going to figure out solutions to this. So help me God. And we will get into that at the end of this episode. <laughs> so, um, kind of piggybacking off of that, the maladaptive coping behaviors that you might see in your friends or family, or even yourself. Um, I know we just kind of discussed the, how it feels within your body, um, and what you might know is going on with you, but you might be noticing yourself or others giving up too quickly on something, um, spacing out a lot, not listening. They kind of just like look checked out tons of forgetfulness. Um, a lot of trouble speaking, like a lot of, even when they're in a comfortable situation with you, there can be like a lot of stuttering or pausing or lack of eye contact. Um, it's iffy on the lack of eye contact because I can't make eye contact with Steph right now because if she makes a face then I'm going to laugh and lose track. So this isn't that instance, but you know what I mean? Well, a lot of times lack of, they say lack of eye contact is lack of trust. Like, yeah. and or lack of confidence. Like for a long time, I had a problem with eye contact with people. When, when I'm receiving information, I have no problem making eye contact because like, I, I want people to feel heard. But when I'm talking about something super serious, I cannot look at the person in the face because if you laugh, so has see, there it goes. There it fucking goes. All the thoughts gone. She cracked a smile. What were we talking about? People are just going to be like, no, Jamie, you're just in love with her. <laughs> I hear it coming eye, now. Eye contact. <laughs> but um, they could be withdrawing from you a lot. Try to pay attention to whether that's like isolation or hibernation. Like, will they let you come into their space and hibernate with them? Or are they like, absolutely not. Um, showing signs of overwhelm, but not in the cinematic way. So like, on the big screens, we see these people like hyperventilating and their heart racing and overwhelm can also look like complete and total shutdown, just like literally staring at a wall. Yeah. So pay attention to those. And as always, when I do these episodes, I have all of these like little reminders and tidbits and facts that I save at the end is what I've been trying to do. So I had written, as we said, when you were stripped of the choice a fight to fight or flight, you develop an overreactive, an overactive, sorry, an overactive trauma response. And over time, what can happen is that everything begins to feel like a threat, which is exactly what you were saying. But get this, even demands can start to feel like a threat. And so I wrote down some demand examples because I, I wanted to give the listeners like a, and you a pretty like clear idea by what they meant by this. A demand can be caring for, showing up for your children, yourself, your spouse, your friends. 
It could be perceived as a demand. Feeding yourself and paying bills, especially when you're financially struggling, it's like, this is demand. They need my money. What money? What fucking money can I give them? And so like, it's just another layer of stress. Uh, Demand can also be cleaning or physical self-care when you're mentally struggling because showing up for covers the mental self-care. But so these can begin to feel like threats to people because we have, we had to modernize the monster. Like we're obviously not running for our lives from lions, tigers, and bears anymore. So we have evolved and which therefore means our trauma responses have evolved. And therefore the, these threats exist everywhere. (laughs) Actually, I think on the contrary, our trauma responses haven't evolved because we think an alert going off on our phone is a life or death situation. Yes. That is how our brain recognizes it instead of just being like, Oh, okay. Like that's not a big deal. It's like, Oh no, I need to look at that now. I need to answer that now. That person needs a response now. It's so funny. You say that because phone response, like phone dings never scared me. They just annoy the piss out of me. And this is, this is where you, it is so vital that you start to really get in touch with your body because like, I could have totally mislabeled the whole phone thing. This is a bad example, but as, as a trauma response, right. I could be like, Oh, noises scare me, but that's not really the case. It's the fact that like, no, they fucking annoy me and I'm going to like, turn it off. It's a sensory overload. It's a totally different issue. Yeah. And once you learn to basically accommodate yourself in that way and, and communicate with the people in your life. Like, Hey, I um, will probably throat punch you if you don't turn that off, (laughs) but you know, a little healthier than that. Try, try doing it nicely. Steph and I just can talk that way. and know that we still love each other. Yeah. It's anything that gets our heart rate going is a perceived threat. Even things that aren't really life threatening, like, you know, deadlines at work. You keep front loading. You keep setting me up perfect for like the next sections. Like this is beautiful. We need to do this more often. You don't even know what you said yet, but you'll figure it out in a few minutes. This is why we work well. I somehow always do this because, you know, you tell me I'm like psychic or something. Yeah, because guys like literally Steph and I don't prep for these at all. We prep individually, but we don't talk about shit because at the end of this, like we're so burnt out from talking about other stuff. We're sharing like uh, stories. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Outside of the podcast, all Steph and I call talk each other, call and talk to each other about essentially, for the most part, our stories. Oh yeah. And then we'll do like five minutes of business and forty five minutes of party. Well, and it's funny that she uh, says that we prep. She's the only one who preps for the episodes. Well, you you edit them and you do all of but that. But that's not this... preparing for the episode. Yeah, well, you it's know, it's like what? being in school. Jamie is the teacher. I am the student who asks all the obnoxious questions. No, you give excellent perspective because we had very, very, we have very different outlooks. Not negative. Like it's not like we have opposing outlooks. It's just, it's like Ben. Ben is on the same wavelength as me, belief and moral wise, but like he has a very different and insightful perspective because he has a very different life experience than I mm-hmm. do or you do. And so I feel like that's why we work well, because our, our trauma is similar, but not at all the same. Yes. Um, and this is a perfect, this speaks exactly to this freeze response stuff. And I both freeze in very different ways because we have very different childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. So 
these threats exist everywhere. And like we have and we haven't evolved potato, potato, take it, form your own opinion off of that. Um, but as to not make this a 40, uh, three hour episode, we'll move on. Um, so we've discussed this again extensively in the previous episodes, but freezing repeatedly in this way to quote unquote threats in your life, whether they are real, imagined, acute, or chronic, does long-term damage to both your body and your brain. We've said that extensively. You actually, and this was where you set me up earlier, commonly find people with PTSD or CPTSD disorders stuck in one of these trauma responses, right? Because what's happening is that this person is coping with all of these conflicts and challenges the same way that they did in their childhood or a typically like prolonged traumatic event. I think of this as forming habits and I'm not, again, trying to diminish anyone with PTSD from a specific one-time event, but like I would find it not difficult to believe. What's the word I'm like? To me, it doesn't make sense. Like how this habit, how this, how a trauma response could form from one individual traumatic event. Now kidnapping, I would consider like prolonged, but like car accident, you're going to be shuttered for a little bit. This isn't going to form into a lifelong habit unless it was like you killed your best friend in the accident or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess it ultimately depends. It's going to be experience based. Yeah, definitely. What if you're in a car that flipped over in a lake? Yeah, well, that's water. pretty fucking traumatic. Like, I would consider that, I don't know, prolonged because like, it depends how long you're under. There's a whole hospital trip involved. I'm talking like, I'm talking the people that get into a tiny, tiny, tiny fender uh, bender and they're saying yeah. they had a traumatic event. And it's like, yes, I can understand how you're rattled, but this, this isn't going to be a life altering thing that you're going to be fighting this trauma response on for, for years and years to come. Mm-hmm. So. Basically, what will happen is these people who struggle with these disorders over time subconsciously choose this response over and over and over and over again. They run to it like a scared child because it is what best served their needs to further escape harm in the past. You know, it's like that they form this this habit. It's like, well, this has kept me safe. So I'm just if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Until you break and then we got to fix it. So here we are. <laughs> if you would like to hear solutions. <laughs> To all of the fucked upness we just described, please tune in in two weeks. Thank you. Love you. Goodbye. <laughs> what fucking voice was that? Goodbye. <laughs> it was my obnoxious voice. We are so grateful to those of you who have allowed us to take up space in your lives and supporting us while we share some of our most vulnerable moments. As James said, your support means the world to us. So we would absolutely love to know your thoughts on the show. So please leave us a review on any of our platforms and also make sure to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The links are posted in our show notes. This concludes your tour of Stay Wild Trauma Child. Please remain seated oh, until... Oh, God, James. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. We love you. And as always, stay wild. <laughs>